It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Signal Boost. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. It's Tuesday, February the 2nd. Good morning, Jess. Good morning. <laughs> I've been uh, up watching <laughs> AOC's Instagram Live for the last hour. I'm, I'm, about, yeah. to, to, I'm about 20 minutes away from, from the end at this point. And holy crap. <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> I holy mean, crap. wow. Um, yeah, this is required viewing. Um, most of yeah. her, I mean, all of her Instagram lives are. But this, like, if you, uh, you want to know about our democracy and the state of it right now, uh, you will go to Representative Ocasio-Cortez's Instagram live and you will watch her video uh, about the week of the insurrection at the Capitol. She had a live, um, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, um, mm-hmm. where she talked a little bit about her experience the day of the insurrection and that there was a point where she thought she was going to die and she talked about how she was starting to recognize she had experienced a trauma and she was trying to process that um and last night she finally could talk about the details and she said security concerns had been resolved and so she was able to speak freely Yes, and it you know it is required viewing not just because of the the firsthand account of just um, how horrifying that day was for her in particular, uh, but also because she talked about how she's a survivor of sexual assault, and I don't believe she had revealed that previously. No, she said um, only a handful of people in her closest circle knew. And uh, so, when you are already a survivor of something and you experienced another trauma. Uh, she talked about the compound effect. And I, as somebody who has experienced trauma and, you know, you add traumas on top of that, I, I deeply empathize and can relate to that. Um, and I know that we have some clips, so let's, let's play yeah. um, the clip that we have of, of her talking about what happened because you know, the first-hand account is, is important for everybody to hear. I recommend watching the entire thing. Seriously. Uh, but let's listen, let's listen to a clip of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on Instagram Live last night um, talking about what happened on January 6th to her personally, first-hand account. Um, if you are learning things about me in the course of this live that you didn't know before, um... And it's not, you know, a thing about hiding or anything like that. But, um, you know, sometimes you just can't tell the same story over and over. So anyways, the reason I say this and the reason I'm getting emotional in this moment is because these folks who tell us to move on, that it's not a big deal, that we should forget what's happened, or even telling us to apologize, um, these are the same tactics of abusers. And um, I'm a survivor of sexual assault. Um, and I haven't told many people that in my life. Um, but when we go through trauma, trauma compounds 
on each other. And so whether you had a negligent or, you know, a neglectful parent and, or whether you had someone who was verbally abusive to you, um, whether you are a survivor of abuse, um, whether you experience any sort of trauma um, in your life, small to large, these episodes can compound on one another. There's no, you know, something really big happening to you and then Did the clip cut off? Oh, I think it ended right there. Um, yeah. Uh, she she goes on to just talk about um, how when she finally did get to safety, and there's a, you know, we have part of Katie Porter also, her account, because where um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez ended up going was uh, basically running from her office, knocking on Katie Porter's door because she didn't feel safe. Uh, going to the building that she was directed to go to because she wasn't actually directed to a particular room, right. which is very weird. That is weird. Um, and so as she's sort of going through Katie Porter's office looking for a place to hide, um, you know, she's experiencing, she's she's traumatized. I mean, she's li literally like, I need yeah. flat shoes so I can run for my life. Um, you know, when she talks about in the live about hiding behind the bathroom door the hinge we do of the have bathroom that door that we, do we have that clip play it. yeah we do we can we can play that clip let's play that like i'm here and the bathroom door starts going like this like the bathroom door is behind me She's or rather in front of me opening. and i'm like this and the door hinges right here and i just hear where is she where is she and um this was the moment where I thought everything was over. Um, and the weird thing about moments like these is that you lose all sense of time. Um, in retrospect, um, maybe it was four seconds, maybe it was five seconds, maybe it was 10 seconds, maybe it was one second, I don't know. It felt like my brain was able to have so many thoughts in that moment um, between these screams and these yells of, where is she, where is she? And so I go down and I just, I mean, I thought I was going to die. Um, and I had a lot of thoughts, you have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I think when you're in a situation like that um and like also one of those thoughts that I had was you know I just happened to you know be a spiritual person and be raised in that context and I really just felt like you know if this is the plan for me um then people will be able to take it from here um, I had a lot of thoughts, but that was the thought that I had about you all. Um, I felt that, um, if this was the journey that my life was taking, that 
I felt that things were going to be okay. Um, yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to listen to it again. Um, yeah, because it it, it's, it's so real. It's very raw. And I think important for people to understand, um, that it makes me matter at Ted Cruz, <laughs> uh, yeah, today much. because, um, you know, understanding what some of these Congress people experienced firsthand and then the immediate call uh, for unity without accountability. Um, yeah. She's right to call that abusers tactics. That's what abusers do, um, you know, after they abuse you. They are like, yep. you know, uh, they give you the I'm sorry, but, you know, not really sorry, not if sorry. If you bring it up again, it's um, your fault. Yeah. And then you have to sort of you know, forget it, put it out of your yep. mind, act like um, yep. it didn't happen. And I think that it's really important for people to understand the dynamics of this so that we can identify it when it's happening and call it out. Um, and hopefully at some point, normalize being open about um, these kinds of tactics, right? I mean, I feel like part of it is that, you know, they were probably like, some feminists that have been pointing out uh, for four years, the abuser taxic, tactics that have been used, utilized by Donald Trump <laughs> um, and by other Republicans, certainly in this moment. Um, and I think it's important for us to, to both empathize with AOC's experience mm-hmm. and not be like Michael Tracy on Twitter, um, and, and that we should work really hard, the rest of us, um, to marginalize the people who engage in this kind of behavior. Yeah. Um, the Ted Cruz's and the Josh Hollies of the world. So the, the story, because we, we left you on a, a cliffhanger while she talked about the things that uh, she was thinking in that moment. Um, the, the story ends with her, um, or doesn't end, but the, that, that, uh, the, the, her hiding in the bathroom, like hiding behind a door as it opens. I and mean, holding the, your breath. How many, how many movies have you seen? How, like, that's the worst moment of the movie. Um, right. she, so, so it, 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 she's only in her office with her legislative director. She had a single person with her because it was an important vote that day. They were certifying the election. Um, the rest of her staff is home due to COVID protocols. She spent the beginning of the IG Live explaining the tension over Monday and Tuesday to set up the idea that anybody who did not realize that something like this could happen on Wednesday is, is lying to you. Anybody who mm-hmm. says that they didn't, they all knew. Uh, she was already not walking the streets of D.C. because it was too, um, it was too tense. It was too, it was too dangerous. It was obviously too dangerous. Um, women know, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure guys know too. I can only speak as a woman, but like, you know, when someone's sizing you up, you know, when you've walked into a, into a bodega, which she says, it's so funny. It's like, that's the, that's the, that was the first thing I thought of when she was talking about the grocery store, you know, when you walk into a bodega and there are a couple of guys who get a little quiet and they look at you, you know, Mm -hmm. that that's the thing you have to leave that situation. So basically all of DC was that for her by Tuesday. So now she's in the bathroom. Um, she ends up leaving the bathroom when her legislative director tells her it's okay to come out because the guy who had, who had, he was banging on the door of the front office. He finally got in. Then he was banging on the bathroom. The only thing he ever said this entire time was, where is she? Um, legislative director tells her to come out because this man is a Capitol police officer, but the legislative director is clearly quite afraid of him. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and AOC says that he is staring at her with, like, brutal anger. And she doesn't know whether he is there to help her or not. He barks at her to leave her office and to go to an adjacent congressional building. She grabs her bag with the legislative director and they run. Um, when they reach the building, they realize at that point he has not given them a safe room. He has not given them any sort of secure location. These buildings are large and the place, you know, and, and, and where the area he told them to go was the street level first floor. So she has been moved from where Capitol leadership told her to stay safely, which was her office, um, by a Capitol police officer who did not identify himself and was not with a partner and did not act like a Capitol police officer. Uh, who has now directed at her, who has now directed her to go to an unsecure location on street level in a building where protesters are are banging down the front doors. Um, I mean, standing that, in a room that with somebody. That sounds like the FBI needs to investigate a little bit more. Just a little because bit more, if, yeah. Because if, if, if there was any inside help, meaning that if that Capitol Police officer as a part of a conspiracy, was instructed to tell certain members of Congress to go to a particular place where they would be more vulnerable, that yeah. is some serious-ish. Well, I don't it, know if I mean, that's what happened here, but it doesn't sound right, and she's right to say this what, doesn't feel right. No, and, and, and what, what was supposed to happen, like if that man was behaving as a Capitol Police officer, he would have identified himself. Of course. He maybe, maybe he wouldn't have been with a partner. Things were crazy. Like, okay, fine, there's one of three. He would have escorted her. She's one of the highest visibility targets in Washington, D.C. Like, I I remember going to, uh, you know, I I do these, like, caucus meeting things every now and then where, like, you know, we'll talk about the media or whatever, and I'll meet some members. I remember going to the first one that she attended. Um, There was security that I don't, you only see security like that if, like, you know, Hillary Clinton is going to be there or, like, it's Nancy Pelosi. Right. But, like, the house. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the Secret Service, you know, you're used right. to seeing those. That means, oh, a president is coming. So, uh, yeah, she. I mean, she's been living with this for for a very long the time, time, and it finally, it 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 the, this was it. This was it boiling over. So, like, they they know that she's a target. Obviously, right. they know that she's a target. Anybody with two eyes knows that she's a target. Um, I'm sure out of everybody that they were looking for, second to Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence. Right. You know, they're talking about the squad. They were looking for her and Alain right. Omar. Right. So, so the idea that this Capitol Police officer would recognize the danger and then send her and her staffer <clears throat> unaccompanied to a non-secure location. Like, I, I'm that, I don't know what his intentions were, but they weren't to serve and protect. Right. There is, there is no way that that adds up to him doing that job. Right. The right way. It was the, the opposite of that job. She was in a secure location. She was where Capitol Police leadership had told all members to be. And that man came in, terrorized her and her legislature. And I, I'm saying terrorized because when you're hiding behind a bathroom door, sliding down the wall, thinking you're going to die, you're being terrorized. That man came in and terrorized them and then sent them unaccompanied to a more dangerous location. I am shaking with fury right now <laughs> like I, no i i like, i'm it was it was hard oof. for me um last night when i because i i saw that she was going to go live and i didn't watch it live but i watched it like at 10 o'clock right before i went to bed and i oh man um, how'd you sleep well i'm sleeping a little bit better <laughs> um good. than usual um That's well good. i mean i think when you work 
you know, 14 you're hours. Just you're just, just bone tired. You're just like, <laughs> yeah. sleep. Um, Gotta shut it what's off. What's that? But I, but I do, you know, I take my, melano- my melatonin. The point I'm making is that when I mm-hmm. watched it back, I mean, my heart sank. First of all, yeah. I don't know how I know this, but oftentimes, because I'm a survivor, I can look at somebody and I can tell yeah. sometimes. Um, not all the time. Um, but there's some there's a difference in your eyes. I don't know what it is. Um, and when she said she was a survivor um, of sexual assault, my heart sank because she's so amazing. I don't want her to to have that I don't want her yeah. to have had that experience right she's so yeah. incredible I don't want her to have had that trauma because I know I know that I know that trauma um but at the same time it didn't surprise me because there are a lot of things um about how she talks about issues about how she sees the world that just well one remind me of myself sometimes um, yeah. And remind me of you sometimes, you know, just the way, I mean, she's yeah. a feminist, just like, you know, it's like she talks how we talk and how my friends right. talk. <laughs> um, but there, there, there has always been something about her that, I don't know, and deep down, I, I kind of knew, I think. And yeah. one of the things that she also said that stuck out with me was um, that she talked to Ayanna Presley and they have a really close relationship. I mean, there are members of the squad, but, you know, and they have, you know, they're, they're, they're a foursome. But she always talks AOC about Ayanna Presley specifically and how they're how important the relationship with Congresswoman Presley is to her. Um, and Congresswoman Presley ran her entire campaign um, for city council in Boston um, about the protection and safety and trauma of women and girls of color. And she ran openly as a survivor of yeah. sexual abuse and on the issue of, you know, creating um, trauma-based <laughs> services um, and policies um, for women and girls of color. That was her campaign in Boston. And all the little, you know, consultants with their khaki pants and MacBooks were like, you can't you do can't that. She was that. like, watch me work. Watch me win. So she goes and wins, like, by a bazillion points and then gets reelected. Double digits, seriously. Points. She, like, she, um, she beats, like... <laughs> She's, she, she, she beat she a, a ten-term incumbent okay. by double she digits. Ass. A relatively um, well-liked ten-term incumbent. Like he wasn't atrocious. It, he just wasn't doing very much with the job. And right. anyway, so I think you know that really stuck out to me because I know one of the reasons why I love Congresswoman Diana Presley is because of the campaign she ran. And as a survivor, I know how important it is to have survivors in the Congress. I know how important it is to have people with that experience setting policies um, because, you know, when the Violence Against Women Act comes up and people get up and give their BS reasons as to why they shouldn't reauthorize it, which is the current situation, by the way, mm-hmm. um, that it's important to have the Ayanna Presley's and the Congresswoman Gwen Moore of Wisconsin's um, in the Congress. Because this is a real, I mean, it's an experience for one in five women. So just count up the women in Congress and divide. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it, the more that we normalize talking about it, you know, particularly because we are post Harvey Weinstein, y'all. We're, I mean, Donald Trump's lawyer is the guy who wouldn't prosecute Bill Cosby. Like, that's where we are. That's the world we're living in. We are living deep stewed in the misogyny. Um, 
But it's important not to let the Ted Cruz's and the Josh Hawley's get away with this. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I'm not going to unify with abusers. I'm not no. going to do that. That's the decision that I made for myself um, as a survivor. I will allow you at this point to uh, be abusive in any way, shape or form, like even disrespectful. I've yeah. had situations since my sexual assault where a man has said something that has made me uncomfortable and I call it out immediately. Right away. And they get so upset. They're yeah. so upset. They're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you think I went. Yeah. You're being inappropriate, particularly with yeah. work, work situations. I mean, we're we're sort of in this media space where, like, you've got to, like, network and make friends and crap. And, like, I am a very private person. A lot of people mm -hmm. don't know anything about me. And, like, my favorite game is, like, you don't know if I'm straight or gay because I don't talk about my personal life in a work situation. Um <laughs> I love and that Russian site that thought we were married. That was cute. <laughs> I know. That's, it's great. <laughs> we're partners. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is like part of the reason is because I never want the lines to be confusing for anybody involved. We are work colleagues. Don't get it twisted. Don't like comment like, oh, like, look, ooh, that looks good. No, none of that no, shit. None of that. I'm not the one. Don't don't come at me with that you know that the male gaze don't don't do it i like the male i that's why i t button the top button blocks yep. the male gaze i just <laughs> i don't does. want that kind of energy and leering i don't want people you know looking at me in that particular way because it's traumatizing for me it re-traumatizes me i know mm -hmm. that about myself and so when people cross that line i call that shit out right away i mean i make men feel mad uncomfortable around me they don't even want to touch me half the time because they know the <laughs> right exactly exactly yeah, that's a feature not a <laughs> you bug. shouldn't you actually oh, if I shouldn't be touching way, me men won't want to touch without me. my permission oh my god imagine that so for me it's like you know i think it's important for us to normalize this so we can get to a place where you know i don't have to you know act like every single man could be a threat yeah i don't want to have to act like that it would be great i mean I love the I love the potential for, you know, after the pandemic is over, you know, we we we've lived through Donald Trump, we've lived through post Harvey Weinstein, um, you know, ten years into Toronto Burke's Me Too movement. We are talking about these issues every day. We are being open about these issues. But I would love post pandemic for us to normalize the idea that you don't touch people without their permission. Yeah, I think that's unless they great. are excited about it. <laughs> right. You should not be going near their person. Enthusiastic consent for all things, including hugs. <laughs> that's 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 it. Yeah, I, I just the the idea that that you you have to be so on. I, I can't handle yelling. That's my thing. Like even even a normal, even the normal sort of like argument that you have with somebody that you know you love, like a, a non-traumatizing argument. The second that voices get raised, that's it. It's like I'm, I'm no, we we don't have this conversation now. Like there, like there's a trauma response that it changes you. It makes you a different yeah. person. Um, you know, I used to be okay with things that I am no longer okay with. I used to enjoy things that I no longer enjoy. Like it, it, it changes you. Um. And I, you know, I, I think I think it, it gave it gave her that unique lens to be able to explain what was happening to her on the sixth. Yeah. And the idea that you're standing in a room with somebody and you're not sure, like what their intentions are, re your body. Like you don't know 
Like, whether or not you get out of there is up to them. It's up to somebody else. Like, that's, that, that feeling, that's the thing that sticks. That's the, that's the thing that, like, makes you never okay again. Is that you know what the experience of like, is like. Is it, like, it's not up to you whether you get home. Right. Right. It's actually up to somebody else. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a horrible dehumanizing feeling. It's um, it's a horrible horrible feeling, and it's it's the it's the same feeling that causes people um, to victim blame. It's the yeah. same feeling because they yeah. want to believe that they, they would have done something like different, and yep. they would never feel that way. And I will never the, be in that situation. It's self preservation, right? And the most destabilizing piece um, when you are sort of recovering from that trauma is the realization when you find when it finally sinks in. Yeah, you have no control over your body. You have no yeah. control over what happens to your body. I mean, that's just always true. <laughs> it is true in the pandemic. I think a lot of people were like, oh, I have no control. Mm-hmm. And, and they were very destabilized. But that is the feeling that you you have to, like, sit with it. And that, <laughs> for me, the, the hardest part, the hardest part was the day I realized I would never be the person I was before. Yeah. That I couldn't be that person ever again. That I had to completely adjust like readjust and rethink how like how i exist in the world that how i exist in the world is completely vulnerable to harm at all times at all times and that is the truth that you have to start living with uh and it's terrifying that's why you know some people never come out of the house again i get it Uh, yeah we'll be back tomorrow with another signal boost podcast (laughs) 